0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows our entire food system needs to be transformed. Transformed from one which is bad for water, soil, and animals. All all animals, including humans. Humans are animals for... (laughs) For those who often forget, to a food system that nourishes people and planet. So how do we have a food system that nourishes people and planet at the same time? And to, on today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, two people um, working to transform the, this dominant food system in, in different ways. Uh, Mark Estelle, he's the founder of Organic Eye, which he has spent most of his professional life working to ensure the integrity of organics. He's going to be uh, joining us on the phone um, later in the program, and we're going to be talking about the National Organic Standards boards, which um, they're meeting, um, and that's on October 19th through the 21st. And there's a lot on the agenda. So, when the word organic is used, what does it mean? Does it require um, outdoor access and animal welfare? How is the Biden administration approaching organic sta- standards? So, we're we'll going to be talking to Mark about um, that board meeting. But joining us right now in studio is Jake Jarecki with Feed Me Farms. Uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
1: Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm hey. excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you because um, you're doing something that's so cool on so many levels. So tell us about food, food free, Feed Me Farms.
1: Yes, uh, Feed Me Farms is my suburban farming operation, as, uh, as I like to call it. And this is my second season, and I'm just wrapping it up now. So it's been uh, two full seasons of running a, a full-time farm, selling... At farmer's markets and to CSA customers and a little bit of restaurant sales. And it's all grown in the western metro here on borrowed lots. And that's that's the unique approach to the my suburban that's farm. It.
0: So what you did is you are transforming lawns into farms.
1: That's correct. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, isn't that isn't that like I mean, there's not enough Kentucky bluegrass out there, so aren't you afraid of hurting the <laughs> Kentucky bluegrass?
1: <laughs> yeah, not not too worried. Uh, I think there's enough uh, enough green grass out there. Um, one of the you know, it's there's more grass lawns in the U.S. than there are acres of corn. There's you know, I think we're doing well with with, with lawn space. We can give up a little bit to uh, grow some food closer to home and to uh, you know as well. I'm sure we'll get into it, but it you know benefits the environment in a lot of ways by uh, taking a, a lawn that is traditionally a chemical soaked process and and turning it into um, what we're doing at the farm.
0: Yeah, and so we've been talking about this for a long time here on Food Freedom Radio. We've been doing this show for ten years. Is how do we transform? These lawnscapes, which are, like you said, they're they're actually sterile landscapes. They're not good for water. There's uh, most pesticides are used on on lawns. The lawnmowers are bad for climate change. How do we transform them into into gardens and food space? But you've actually taken some lawns and is you're making a business out of it as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's th- that's the approach. Is is a uh, you know, and I won't take credit for inventing. Uh, the wheel here that I'm following in the footsteps of a lot of really talented urban and suburban kind of lawn to farm, small scale market garden folks that uh, have a lot of great resources uh, for, you know, all as kind of public access for folks like me who are interested in getting into it. So I, you know, I love food and I love cooking and I love working outside and this, uh, you know, this approach is the first chance for me to try farming Without having to buy a farm, you know, and and it's uh and there's a lot of people who are happy to to do something different with their lawn too. So it's that's that's kind of the approach is that I can stay close to the market where where people are buying, and I can stay close uh, to the things that I like in this area, and you know, don't have to make a compromise between moving out to the country and growing food.
0: Right. And okay. So how did how did this whole idea? Well, let's let's step back a little bit. Tell us mm-hmm. about your background and 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 what what you've done.
1: Yeah, so my, uh, you know, I guess I'll work back from here. I'm 31, and I grew up here in uh, Eden Prairie. I went to the Hopkins School District. I uh, left right away as soon as I could after after high school to spread my wings, and I went to Seattle for college, and I went to the University of Washington there. I ended up uh, not really, uh, I didn't show up with a plan, but I ended up leaving uh, with a degree in oceanography, which mm. was not you know what I set out for, but it was something that really caught me and uh was a really uh you know kind of global scale approach to climate science especially a lot of the climate research is done through the oceanography world and so learning kind of the global systems of of the carbon cycle and um, and just kind of the bigger broader picture of climate change and environmental impacts on a global scale you know just kind of shook me to in, into seeing you know so, sort of the gravity of the problems we face and that uh, kind of spiraled off into me just being motivated to instead of you know if I were to have stayed in, in oceanography for instance there's a lot of really good research being done and, and numbers being crunched to kind of build good models for for climate modeling and and whatnot and that uh, you know the way I was reading it is that every uh, every study, you know, and model was fine tuning how screwed we are, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and I and I I commend the people doing the research, no doubt. But um, I, I wanted to do something that seemed like it was uh, going to you know help in some sort of way in a solution. So I was drawn to uh, maybe education and, and science communication stuff, and I, I did some internships and and things in AmeriCorps. Positions in Portland where I was doing like habitat restoration work. It was uh, so I've just worn a bunch of environmental hats, pretty much trying to see what I like, and, uh, and then I get bored and I try the next thing, and now it's it's farming. So I uh, yeah I got really hooked just meeting some cool farmers in Oregon when I was in Portland and uh, went to some conferences where I started to meet some folks that you know kind of just got me convinced that there's a, a real good intersection between environmental and climate action and agriculture. And, you know, on the side, I have also worked in a lot of restaurants my whole, you know, adult life. So sort of merging those two things where I was really motivated and excited by the food scene, but also, um, you know, driven in the environmental world. I kind of wanted to, you know, learn more about where those met. So anyway, through lots of permaculture stuff that I'm sure you're all familiar with, and uh, I kind of Followed this trail to uh, to just vegetable farming and and where, you know.
0: So now tell us, I mean, tell us where you farm and, and how that came about because that's really quite fascinating.
1: Sweet. Um, yeah, so I am farming on a few borrowed lots right now. So I farm in uh, the Western Metro in Hopkins, Minnetonka, a spot in Plymouth. But, you know, so from starting from the beginning – I have my largest plot at Beth Shalom Synagogue in Minnetonka, and this is uh, the synagogue I grew up going to when I was a kid. It's like where my bar mitzvah was, and and my parents got married there. And it's you know it's 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 great to be back involved there. And they got this big lawn that was, uh, you know, in my eyes, sitting there uh, collecting uh, collecting dust and getting mowed and getting sprayed. And so, I. Asked if I, you know, if they, I brought this presentation to the board and asked if I could use this back lot along with their kitchen and cooler to store my produce, and that's kind of how it all started. So,
0: and so, yeah, and so taking that that grass yard um, outside your congregation, what was the first responses that you got when you said I'd like to make a farm there?
1: Um, <clears throat> I don't think anyone understood the the scale at which I was gonna I was gonna turn things upside down. Uh, you know, it's. It was just—I'm sure—hard for anyone to fathom that what it would look like, but no one, no one minded. It was, you know, as a as a piece of lawn that was, you know, underutilized, and uh, there was—it was just good support. the The board members all, you know, took a look at the idea and said, "Sure, go for it." And you know, Beautiful. they might be a little surprised now to see a greenhouse up and you know, vertical trellising and tomatoes everywhere and you know, all kinds of irrigation. But uh, you know, it looks like a real farm now.
0: Yeah. And I know I um I helped start a community garden in 2008 which was also associated with St. Martha Mary's Church um in Egan mm-hmm. and now that's part of the Open Door. That was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to take grass and make it um produce vegetables. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about the, what was involved in that. The, uh, people uh, yeah, the may process be surprised
1: of of flipping a lawn over to a farm plot is um You know, it it was, it's definitely a years long process. It's, you know, I, you can get, get rolling right away, but it's uh, you know, I'm building back this soil that was, you know, it's pretty much like construction backfill, a lot of it. So it's pretty gravelly and sandy. So, so what I, the first step that I did is uh, rent a sod cutter and peel all the sod off and roll it up and haul it out of the way. And then I posted it on Facebook and said, you know, come, come get some sod and it all disappeared real fast. And so once that that square footage was clear of grass, I rented a tiller and tilled it up just once, which is, you know, I'm I'm doing kind of no-till techniques and I I believe in building soil that way, but it was it was I think important to break it up initially with uh, one till. And then from there, I delineated the the bed shapes and you know, cuz it's all standardized lengths and widths of of beds just kind of to do get get the right tools to fit the process and at least in the market garden kind of systematized stuff. It's very commonly 30 inch wide beds. And then, you know, the length is kind of more dependent on, on your your space, but all mine are 25 feet in length. And so, you know, I strung up strings and measured it out. And I'd, I took my broad fork, which is a really awesome, like deep um, kind of light tillage, but uh, a really good tool to to lift the soil and, and help to aerate it. So then you run through every... All, so at the synagogue, for instance, there's 40 beds uh, at that 25-foot length. And so, you know, I'd have to broad-fork all of them, and then I got a huge truckload of compost delivered, and I uh, got a couple friends to join, and we filled up wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow and put about a half-yard of compost down on each of these beds, and... That was the uh, that was the approach. So, so
0: we're we're talking about transforming lawns into gardens. We're going to take a break. Um, with us is uh, um, uh, Jake Jurecki um, with Feed Me Farms, and we'll be back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
2: City
0: Food Freedom Radio is generously supported by Seward Co-op, now offering the safety of full-service contactless shopping at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Seward Co-op has dedicated pickup times for first responders, seniors, and those with compromised immune systems. Visit Seward.coop and learn more about delivery provided by Sodenberg's Floral and Gifts in addition to curbside pickup. It's that safe and easy. That's Seward.coop slash to go. Seward.coop slash to go. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Uh, I'm Laura Headline, and in the studio with us is Jack, uh, is Jake uh, Jaroski with Feed Me Farms. And when we went on break. You were talking about how you converted these um, this large land. So uh, tell us again of where the space is located because people can visit this and what it looks like when mm-hmm. you started and what it looks like now.
1: Yeah. So um, where I left off was uh, the process of turning a you know, lawns into farm space, which is the model of the business I have now, Feed Me Farms. And so we, uh, well, really I, um, started (laughs) off at, the first plot is at my synagogue that I grew up at, it's called Bet Shalom, and it's in Minnetonka. And that's the kind of the home base of the whole operation where I have the largest plot and I have, uh, I put up a greenhouse there last year that's, uh, you know, helped to extend the season. And in there, Kitchen, I have access to the cooler where I can bring the produce from that plot and all my other plots. All you know, that's kind of the home base where I can wash things and package them and store them. Uh, and so, you know, from yeah, I guess really from the from grass to farm, it's uh, it, it it took some some elbow grease and some serious compost and uh, some soil amendments. Uh, you know, bringing a lot of uh, organic fertilizers and. Um, you know, trying to build the soil health and grow some food on it. And so that's this is two years now that it's been uh, in production and I've grown thousands of pounds of food on this lot and more than that on the other ones too.
0: So where are your other lots now?
1: So um, last year, starting off, I had two plots. It was the the one at the synagogue, the largest one, and then a, um, one about a quarter of that size in Hopkins at my friend's mom and dad's place. Mm-hmm. And uh, that those were the two. And then now this year I've, I've added on. So there's a, a church down the road from the synagogue called Bethlehem Lutheran Church on Minnetonka Boulevard. And they've offered me a great space of uh, about 20 garden beds there. So that's like the next largest site and it's great too because it's not far from the synagogue so i can kind of zip back and forth in my farm truck when i need and then uh yeah then so there's the one in hopkins the one in minnetonka the one the other one in minnetonka and then there's one in plymouth that is a a family residential spot that was a a little far away so i am growing like just garlic there and it's it's kind of a nice um kind of out of the out of the way um, low maintenance crop and then i have a another plot that i uh, kind of took over in Saint Paul, where a friend had his urban farm going, and he um, packed it in and moved up north to do, you know, more country style living and and homesteading, and and uh, I've taken over one of his spots there, just sort of at the end of the season. So next year it'll be up and running for in bigger production.
0: And so you studied um, the oceans, and you knew what, <coughs> what human and climate change is causing the problems to the ocean, and you knew about all the problems with pesticides in our land. And so you found something to do about it and learn, earn a living at the same time.
1: Exactly. So you know the exact the approach is um, you know to be offering folks locally a a, a product that is organic practices um, still not certified, but it, um, that's a, a couple years long process, especially when you're using other other people's land. So, but uh, all organic practices, and um, you know I think a big motivation too is is. Anyone who's a a customer gets a majority of their food from a few miles away instead of, you know, a large carbon footprint attached from shipping across the country or the world. And so that's kind of part of the motivation for me, too, is that, you know, you can we can eat food locally and organically and, um, you know, have it available where you would think it, you know, you'd have to have to go looking for it. We can we can grow it right here.
0: And and also having our own businesses and buying and selling from each other. I mean, so much time and all of this churn and all the whatever anxiety. I mean, we know that um, anxiety and depression is off the charts right now. There's so many issues in our culture and our society. And to find a little way to, to quote, unquote, make a living, as if we need to make a living, we're already alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, we all do. Yeah. We all
0: do. But, yeah, we do all need to make. But so um, tell me a little bit about the money part of this. How did that work out?
1: Yeah, so it's um, – I you know, I won't uh, – Tell anyone to dive into this to get rich uh, right off the bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully, it uh, that's that you know could be an opportunity where it heads one day. But in in general, like the kind of the, the model of it is um, is so I you know I don't really pay anything for the spaces I use other than a um, dollar uh, a year on on paper to. To make it official, and then in our agreement, I donate uh, as much as I am able to to the ICA food shelf, and that's um, that's the Inter Congregational Alliance food shelf, and they both of the congregations I'm growing at right now I have a connection with them, so you know on on my cost side, it's like um, as far as the land is concerned and the water as well. I I have an awesome savings on that that it's an advantage over some farmers, no question, but. I also, you know, have a lot less space, and I have, uh, I have space between my spaces, so I have to travel, and you know, there's gas money involved. But in general, kind of the the economic model is, I have CSA shares that I sell at the beginning of the season, and that's like a full subscription for this twenty week farm season, and families or individuals sign up to. Uh, come and pick a pick up a, a weekly grab bag that I assemble based upon what's in seasons each week and so that's uh, you know that's one end of the the business on the on the front end of the season that is where a lot of that income comes in with the CSAs and that's really common in small farms where you uh, it's a great way to kind of balance out the the cash flow because in most farms if you don't have a upfront Csa program you're kind of you know eating through your savings until um, the harvests are abundant later in the, in the summer. So this kind of spreads it out. And then I go to farmer's markets as well. I go to Richfield Farmer's Market Saturday morning and Linden Hills Farmer's Market Sunday morning. And those, uh, those are where I try to get rid of everything else I got left over. And I also have sold to some restaurants that I'm connecting with and some small chefs that are doing cool, you know, vegan pop-up foods and um, just sort of Uh, making a few new smaller connections out there that uh, hope to grow as well. But those are the three kind of avenues is uh, CSAs, farmers markets and chefs.
0: I'm going to jump here. What's your idea of food? I mean, this is this is I mean, I I, as I said, I think I said once before, it is so much work to convert lawns to food. And to actually, I mean, that's why I'm so impressed with what, what you've been able to do with this. And, Thank you. Um, and And I think it's also very powerful. I mean, could you imagine if all those big green lots and we were driving by those, if they all were producing food, the difference that the Twin Cities would look like? Yeah. Well, what difference would that make?
1: I mean, it would, uh, it would you know, we're looking at like uh, supply chain issues right now. And uh, I mean, you can't. We can't grow everything close to home. I mean, I'm I know that there's you know, a lot of commodities that are, are linked up in our global supply chain system. But if, for instance, our our food wasn't if it was uh, available, you know, around the neighborhood, uh, first of all, I'm sure prices would go down, quality would go up. It's um, because it's it's a shorter distance traveled. You're getting a fresher product. I believe, I mean, certainly nutritional poverty and, and, uh, you know, lack of, of access to healthy food would, would decrease. So I think, you know, overall health, health in the community would, would grow as well as probably, you know, more like a cultural connection to food and, and, you know, kind of a, um, some kind of a renaissance of, of, you know, utilizing food and cooking for yourself, because if you had all this food around, um, you learn to use it more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this, uh, I mean, Audubon Society, your yard is a uh, fossil fuel guzzler. Give it a climate makeover. If we could have a climate makeover of the entire Twin Cities area and all these big, large lots have small businesses growing their own food and while eating local foods. I mean, duh. You
1: know, serve it on site and all that. You know, I, I think that there's a huge opportunity for that. Food
0: Freedom Radio on AM 950.
2: Like endless rain into a paper cup They with the wildly as they slip away Across the universe
0: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows our system needs to be transformed from one that is bad for water, soil, and animals to a food system that nourishes both people and planet. Earlier, we were talking with Feed Me Farms, and right now, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Mark Castell. He is the founder of Organic Eye, um, and he spent most of his professional life um, ensuring the integrity of organics. a big meeting coming up this week, um, the National Organic Standard Board. Um, Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Mark.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background, because you've had quite a background. You've been active in these issues for a long time.
2: Well, I started my career uh, with International Harvester, headquartered uh, on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, a large tractor and implement dealership. And uh, back then, almost every farm in Wisconsin and Minnesota had animals and were virtually organic. And and before my time in the 50s, but by the 60s. And a uh, funny thing happened to me through probably pesticide uh, poisoning. I was virtually disabled and was lucky enough to see the country's preeminent environmental allergist who said I should eat all organic food, which was pretty radical in the late 70s, early 80s. I got a lot better. Changed my professional trajectory, and uh, helped farmers. I farm myself, but I helped farmers start uh, cooperatives like Organic Valley in Wisconsin. And uh, and then when it became evident that there was money to be made uh, with the organic label, the same corporate agribusinesses that we were trying to create an alternative economy to escape started gobbling up all the name-brand organic products. And so for the past 17 years, I've been one of the country's preeminent uh, organic industry watchdogs, both a governmental and and corporate watchdog.
0: So there's a National Organic Standard Board event going October 19th to the 21st. Uh, What is this, and why does it matter?
2: Well, when Congress passed the Organic Foods Production Act, in 1990, they created this diverse uh, stakeholder board to advise them and have actually some authority on what non-organic and synthetic, as an example, additives or farming inputs can be used. It's it's a very well-supervised law compared to conventional agriculture. And they set this up to have lots of independent voices, a number of farmers, a certifier, a scientist. Um, a retailer, uh, a couple people that are involved with uh, processing organic food. And that was a great concept. But under uh, successive Democratic and Republican administrations, as this board has turned over, uh, they've appointed individuals that have had uh, direct relationships with the Organic Trade Association, the giant lobby group that, represents business practices and lo and behold uh, we end up with regulatory capture just like the revolving door that puts pharmaceutical uh, executives helping run the um, uh, the the oversight of of drugs or food industry people or uh, pesticide manufacturers at the EPA and and so that's what this fight is about can we Uh, maintain the integrity of organic food, or is it just going to be a marketing slogan?
0: Right, and so let's get in some nuts and bolts. Like when I think of organic milk, I think of cows walking on grass. Is that what that organic label means?
2: Yes, yes. That's actually what the law requires. It it requires uh, cattle to be out during the grazing season every single day unless there's some environmental reason. That it would uh, destroy the pastures and cause uh, water pollution, erosion, Uh, or if, in the case of uh, weather or some other aspect, that would endanger the life or health of the animal. And uh, and by and large, most of the organic milk is produced by family farmers who understand all that. But we now have some giant corporations, many of the same that are in the conventional milk business. some managing I'm, I wish I was making this up 22,000 head of animal animals on one quote farm I don't really call those uh, livestock factories farms and uh, calling their milk organic and it, it's one thing to have a bunch of beef cattle it's another thing altogether to have animals that you have to bring into a milking facility uh, three times a day for most family farmers I'm sorry twice a day for most family farmers three or four times a day on some of these factory farms. And to suggest that you're really grazing them becomes a kind of a fictitious tale. But the USDA has bought that. The, the certifiers that are accredited by the USDA has bought that. There's a lot of money changing hands. So if you buy the store brand milk at uh, Costco or Target or Walmart or many of the big grocery chains, you're getting milk from... It won't be on the package, but Aurora Dairy, this big factory farm operation. And then you've got the largest name brand, which is Horizon. And uh, that used to be owned by Dean Foods in the United States. That's about the same size as Monsanto. Now they're owned by Groupe de in France. They just announced firing 90 of their family farmers, so shifting their production more and more towards larger Uh, Industrial dairies, uh, that's not what organics is about. That's not why we're willing to pay more for a better product.
0: So this National Organic Board is actually pretty important. Now tell us about this meeting coming up this week, and people can tune in and listen to it and comment on it and and learn more about it so that we keep the integrity. We own the word organic. We don't allow the the watering down of those standards
2: that's true. So next week, the board will deliberate. And uh, if you Google National Organic Standards Board or maybe even NOSB and click on the meetings uh, tab, uh, it'll tell you how you can be on that call on Zoom. We yesterday and today they're having public testimony. You have to be pre-registered. I spoke yesterday and for about the uh, third or fourth time in the past 15 or more years, I was gaveled down. They would not let me reference conflicts of interest with the Organic Trade Association, with companies like Driscoll's Organics that partnered with the country's largest certifier, CCOF, to very stealthily uh, convince the USDA to allow hydroponics to be uh, advertised as organic. So that's fruits and vegetables growing without soil in sealed greenhouses under artificial lights in a uh a fertilizer solution that solution doesn't have to be organic and then uh called or organic you know what most of us came to organics be because what the food doesn't have and that's the agrochemical and drug residues but probably just as important maybe more important to my healing when i was so ill was what Organic food, true organic food, does have, and that's better nutrition, better flavor, lots of extra uh, antioxidants, compounds in milk like, um, like omega three fatty acids profiles much healthier, or CLA and amino acid that's uh, said that be protective, and yeah, you know we could do all that in a sealed building with the cows inside or the plants inside, but it's just not organic. And when I tried to speak about that, I was censored of being accused of being um, somehow disrespectful to the uh, corporations I was uh, naming.
0: So um, tell us, I mean, people can also sign up for your newsletter um, on Organic Guy, which is a project of Beyond Pesticides. Um, so um, tell people how they can sign up to your website and your email letter in case they want to learn more about you.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, And we welcome partnering with more farmers and consumers out there that really care. Uh, Our website is OrganicEye, all that's one word, E-Y-E, OrganicEye.org, O-R-G.
0: Great. And um, so um, can you compare the Biden administration to the former guy uh, in terms of these organic standards?
2: I have said I've been doing this since the Clinton administration. And every successive administration, I say, this is great. We have a fresh start. It can't get any worse than it has been, and it might be now. And I can tell you, the Bush administration really tried to delay the rules getting enacted. They did for over 10 years. Uh, They really tried to monkey wrench it. Um, When Obama was in office, he brought uh, former Governor Vilsack, a biotechnology governor of the year, in to run the USDA, and he brought for a change people who really knew about organics. But he brought the people who were friendly, the award winners from the Organic Trade Association, the lobbyists. He brought those people right into his office to run things. And now that he's back, uh, he just appointed uh, a uh, top aide for advising him on organics and, quote, emerging markets. That's probably uh, the fake mo- meat movement. And um, uh, she is a former attorney, uh, a general counsel, and former top lobbyist for the Organic Trade Association. Their their new Undersecretary of Agriculture uh, sat on a panel on the Organic Trade Association uh, nominated by CCOF, the largest certifier. So we've got our work cut out for us. Right now, if you go to our website, there's a proxy letter you can sign Addressed to President Biden and Secretary Vilsack, asking them to elevate the voices of the public interest groups, the nonprofits, not the lobbyists, and listen to the farmers and consumers on the pressing issues. Because we disagree, uh, where the rubber hits the road, we're diametrically opposed to the OTA position.
0: I'm just going to sigh it out a little bit because it is sad. I mean, I, I um, but, and so what do you see as the future of this word organic? Do you see it maintaining integrity?
2: Well, it, the problem is it's just the starting point. It should have been the Cliff Notes version for how we choose food. So buy organic food and, and buy local. Almost everything up in the Twin Cities, the farmers I know here in Wisconsin, I, we're based in Washington, but I work for my farm on the west coast of Wisconsin. I've never found fraud. And if it takes place, and it might. It's certainly isolated. So start with your own local food shed. And then uh, you need to do some homework. There are some ways to tell which are the best brands. And if you go to the Resources tab at OrganicEye.org, there's a series called Castell's Kitchen where I share some secrets on how you can look at the labels how you can tell which are and, and I name names which are the highest integrity brands the ones that I trust, the ones that are in my kitchen the ones that don't fund organic I, but they're welcome to um, uh, in other words, I, I'll share all the secret I. I learned well, through the past three decades of being involved in organic
0: wonderful well thank you so much for your time Uh marga castell mark castell, um founder of organic eye um and we're going to take a break and we are come back we're going to talk more about a local farm feed me farms you're listening to food for freedom radio on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota Food Freedom Radio is generously supported by Seward Co-op, now offering the safety of full-service contactless shopping at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Seward Co-op has dedicated pickup times for first responders, seniors, and those with compromised immune systems. Visit seward.coop and learn more about delivery provided by Sodenberg's Floral and Gifts in addition to curbside pickup. It's that safe and easy. That's togo. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and that was a fun conversation with Mark Castell uh, with uh, Organic Eye about the organic standards. And, I, you know, I've heard this uh, right now still support that word organic. It's the best we have, but there's been a lot of capture. I mean, a farm with 20,000 cows isn't what I think of organic, but a company can put that word on their cartons. But, uh, but then at the same time, that that cannot be, that that can be called organic. I'm talking to a farmer right now that can't use the word organic. <laughs> 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 so uh, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Jake with uh, Feed Me Farms. So tell me again about your farm in case someone and what, mm-hmm. you, what you're doing.
1: Yeah, thanks. So, uh, yeah, my name is Jake Jurecki and I run Feed Me Farms. This is my uh, own business that I started two years ago, growing vegetables on borrowed lots. So former grass lawns, converting them to Small farm plots that uh, add up to um, one whole, you know, farm business.
0: Yeah, and um, and but but you're not labeled organic.
1: No, uh, no, I'm not. It's uh, I'm I'm using all organic practices, so uh, it's you know, in in theory, in conversation with someone, that's that hasn't been an issue. So, um, a lot of small farmers seem to uh, kind of. Take a make a decision on whether or not they need to go the extra step to certify, and it sort of depends on what your customers are looking for. If uh, if you're small enough to kind of have the face to face with your customers, they they get the, the 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 you know the understanding that you are not using any chemicals or in all organic practices, but going through the hoops of certifying can cost uh, can be cost prohibitive. Although there are cost share programs. But also, you know, in my instance, growing on borrowed lots, I can't certify because the spaces I am using were formerly lawns that had pesticides on them. And there's like a three-year waiting period before you can um, – before the last application of any pesticides on a certain space before you can go ahead and start applying to be certified organic. So,
0: so tell us again in case people are – where are these lots located and, and how did they look before you started and what do they look like now?
1: Yeah. Uh, they're all located in the western metro, mo- more or less, actually. And they are uh, they all looked like a big, flat piece of grass, just like anyone else's lawn. And, uh, you know, they're, they're places I chose where there was um, community interest in letting me use the space, but also just uh, geographically good sun and access to water, that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, you know, imagine uh, some portion of a football field, you know, and... and strip off the grass, till it up, and start to uh, delineate um, garden beds that are, um, you know, spaces with uh, walkways in between where I can tiptoe in between the, all the crops. But on the lawn itself, it's, you know, 90% vegetables growing where it was just a piece of grass.
0: And how does it feel, gardening? What does that feel like
1: It's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's grounding or yeah, something? Yeah, it why is. Why is it great? Why it's is it awesome?
1: good? Uh, it's awesome. Um, you know, so uh, you know that's uh, kind of in a more like philosophical stance on that question. I uh, found myself really grateful that I started this and dove into this whole thing right when the pandemic started and it was, you know i was I was really hoping to make this a reality and try to start my own business and be a local uh, farmer doing something different. and so that that's one thing is that it feels good to be you know working for myself i, I I'm happy to be in that position, but also, you know, working outside every day is fantastic, and there, it just sort of was this juxtaposition at the beginning of the pandemic where uh, everyone was inside and couldn't go to their offices and was working in their apartments and stuff, and and I was outside doing something brand new and taking on you know a project that was uh, invigorating in and you know as opposed to a lot of people I know were kind of feeling the the drain of of you know their career jobs sort of a Getting stale at home,
0: and you drive around the cities, and you just see these parts where they have these big green grasses, and and it's and we're putting this we're putting um, chemicals on these little pots of green grass. And what if that was gardens and market gardens? And what difference could that make in our communities? And what difference could it make?
1: Uh, I think it could make a huge difference. Uh, there's, you know, from anywhere from environmental impact, you know, any any customer of a, of a small local farm is receiving their food uh, with a, you know, a few miles of, of gas transportation only instead of, you know, different disparate pieces of the puzzle all getting shipped from different parts of the country or the world. Uh, so environmentally, a big improvement on on everyone's conscience and on their, their own impact. Uh, nutritionally, um, was it Mark who was just on the line with us? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: he was talking about how, you know, not just what's what's not in – how did he phrase it? It's not just about what isn't in your organic – um, produce and, and milk and stuff. It's about what actually is present there when, and that isn't in conventional stuff.
0: And there's some people that, and I, I've heard this explained, and I know, I mean, we don't really understand it, but it's not just, I mean, there's this phrase, you are what you eat. Well, we mm-hmm. are actually what our food eats. And so the soil is very complex. And humans, a hundred years ago, we did not even know about vitamins. We don't really understand the complexity of living soil. So actually having food from living soil might make huge differences to our bodies.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard that, uh, you know, your best, one of the best tools out there to, to, you know, determine the, the, how nutrient dense and, and, uh, y- you know, healthy a, a vegetable is, is your tongue. And that like the <laughs> flavor things that taste good to us are good for us. And right. that's, you know, you're, you're getting these kind of micro, um, nutrient and flavor profiles in, in, um, organic agriculture and heirloom varieties that, um, tastes really good to you, and that's because it's full of, you know, antioxidants and micronutrients that are actually really good for you. So. Right.
0: And I want to, before we, we're tuned down to two minutes, um, tell me about the name of Feed Me Farm.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. Um, so this is a, you know, this all kind of happened. I started this off at a, a sort of tumultuous time in, in my life. I had moved back from Portland, Oregon, and a good friend of mine that I grew up with here uh, my friend Andrew Jaffe passed away. He had an early diagnosis of cancer. He was only 28. It was really just a terrible time. But he, um, you know, just kind of this this transition uh, into you know him moving on to the next world and uh, and seeing the um, that uh, you know that, that life is short and that. Uh, there's, you know, important things to do with your time that sort of, that was a big inspiration for me to, to take the swing at this. And the name Feed Me Farms is, uh, in, in honor of his nickname that Feed Me that was given to him, uh, when we were kids, cause he was, uh, always snacking. And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I needed a name for a farm. I needed a, um, a good way to, to continue his legacy. And, uh, so that's what just came to me as, as a really had a good ring to it and, uh, and so that's how I chose the name Feed Me Farms.
0: Okay, let's let's say your website again and anything else. So what do you see as the future? Huh?
1: Yeah, so uh website real quick uh is www.feed-mefarms.com. So there's a hyphen there in between feed and me. And uh that's uh that's the current website, although I have like a new one that's almost ready. Uh that's just no hyphen feedmefarms.co but anyway yeah the the future of this is uh, trying to expand trying to get more space trying to employ others so that we can uh, you know build this and start to you know maybe start to serve this food as well as, as grow it and um Get involved with restaurants and all that.
0: So, see the lawns around you, make them into farms.
1: Exactly. That's yep. So that's Feed Me Farms, and uh, you can. We got Thank Instagram so and much. Facebook, all that.
0: Awesome! you listen to Food Freedom Radio, and have a wonderful weekend.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you.